You're listening to a sermon from Metro North Church in Goose Creek, South Carolina. If you'd like to connect with us, then visit us online at metronorthchurch.com. Well, we're in a series called Life with a capital L, and it's based off of the famous Ten Commandments. You all have probably heard of those and studied those. What happened is two million Israelites that were slaves for 430 years were set free, but they didn't know how to live free. They were human, they were alive, but they didn't know how to really live life with a capital L. We're on the fifth commandment today, and I want to start with this whole idea of rules being a good thing, rules being a good thing, rules being something to live by. G.K. Chesterton was not following the Lord. He becomes a Christian, and he kind of struggled with rules, but he said this. Do we have the G.K. Chesterton quote, Kenny? It's up there. He said this, and isn't he a funny-looking guy, by the way? He said this, the more I considered Christianity, the more I found that while it had established a rule and order, the chief aim of that order was to give room for good things to run wild. I think he gets it. Could it be true that following the commands of the living God would make good things run wild. I don't know if you all remember back in 2010, Nick Shepard, a Plattsburgh, Missouri police officer, responded to a distress call regarding a canine trapped with a tangled foot in a fence. Here's a picture on the police officer's uh, body cam. There's this poor dog dangling by by this fence. And the story is quite interesting. Let me, let me read to you what, what they wrote in the paper. When the officer arrived on the property, he found the dog dangling upside down with one of his hind legs caught in the chicken wire fence. The pet was scared and whining, yet it started to wag its tail as the officer came up to help. The owner of the property who made the call brought out a pair of pliers to set the canine free. Once free, the dog ran off the property, kind of limping, And the officer had to go look for this dog to protect the area. Well, not knowing where the dog had run to, the officer headed back to his patrol car only to find him doing this. (laughs) Sitting in the car holding the steering wheel. I wonder if this could be us. We get stuck in sin and shame. We hear about Jesus. And then right when we're set free... Instead of having a relationship with God, we grab the steering wheel. Could this be you and me? You know, what if we were really rescued for relationships and our root relationships, mom and dad, is where it starts? Would you all please stand out of honor for God's word? It's a very short rule today. Exodus chapter 20, verse 12 says this, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we we see these stories of dogs trying to drive and it just reveals us. We misunderstand authority. We react against it. Father, Father, we slow down right now to weigh the significance of your name. Father, 
Please show us in this fifth command what it means and send your spirit to change us. In the name of our elder brother Jesus, amen. Well, with your Bibles open, please be seated. Just mentioning this tender topic of mom and dad, I know it's going to stir us up. You don't have to dig far in any of your hearts to hit this nerve when we talk about mom and dad. My burden today as your pastor is that the topic of mom and dad that makes us feel vulnerable, that exposes our heart with such a weighty topic, my burden is that even though it's going to trigger all sorts of issues in many of you from anger to awe, even for some of you that are so close to mom and dad, there's a bunch of you that wish you were closer to mom and dad. We have this deep ingrained sense that it should have been better with mom and dad. And you know what? It should have been better. But even though our parents shape our lives inevitably, they do not shape our lives irrevocably. The title for today's sermon is The Weight of Glory, taken from a famous essay by C.S. Lewis talking about weight and glory. And we need to start there because when the command says honor we have to understand that that's a very unique word. It's actually an aggressive verb. It's not a little thing you put on a pillow. Honor is an aggressive verb. What does honor mean? My parents are to receive from me honor. I'm supposed to aggressively do something with my parents. You don't know my parents. They're ordinary. They're unflashy. They're mom and dad. God says, you want to live life with a capital L? Honor. Honor is a special word which means heavy, weighty. You know when you go and you're trying to open that jar and you just can't budge it? You're pressing on it, you're trying to do it, and what do you do? Hey, Dad, you need someone with more weight to be able to get a grip on what you're struggling with and to help you out. You know what a parent does? A parent actually helps you face the hard stuff and helps you get a grip on reality. Now, we don't always want to look at reality as kids, but they tighten our very grip on reality. How many of you, thinking of the word heavy, you're trying to read that difficult book, whatever that subject, and you can't get it? For me, it was geometry in 10th grade. And I can remember saying, I'm dumb, I'm stupid, I can't do this. And I was like, Mom! She came over and grabbed that book, and she spent a few days reading it cover to cover. Mom got me through geometry, because Mom was heavy. She was weighty. She was impressive in that she helped me with knowledge. That's what the word means. It's a command, not a suggestion. It's to aggressively take action to make mom and dad feel greatly important, impressive even, significant. It actually is the word in Hebrew for glorify and exalt. We think we only do that with God. Weigh them down with honor. Make them intentionally be intense about honoring them. You all have heard it. You want to get on the honor roll. Or you want to be in a wedding, the maid of honor. We call our judges your honor because the law helps us to have order in society. And how many of us in the military would love to receive a medal of honor? 
For those of you that like to take notes in our message notes today, we've got three things if you want to kind of hang these ideas. You know, moms and dads, you can't just walk in. You've got to throw something on the, on the coat rack or you've got to put your hat on the hat rack. On the hat rack, number one, if you want to remember these things from this sermon, relate with weight to your father and mother. Why? Because of the glory of their authority. I know just saying the word authority can lower the temperature in the room. I was born in 1970, which means the 60s, for those of you that were alive, were very frustrated. Every authority figure people were pushing against because they were sinful, they were oppressive. I grew up thinking that authority is a bad word. And yet, let me say it again, we are to relate with weight to mom and dad because of the glory of their authority. Look at verse 12 again. It starts with this aggressive verb, honor your father and your mother. The first four commands that we've been reviewing to give you life with a capital L deal with loving God. We make a pivot now because we're rescued for relationships. We've now known that there's a way to love God. Now we're going to look at the last six, the first of which will help us to relate to mom and dad. The first example of loving others is not to love everyone. That's too abstract. How many of you have seen this little uh, Peanuts um, comic from Linus? He says, oh yeah, I love mankind. It's people I can't stand. See, God says you're rescued to now live life as a human being, and I'm going to focus you not on loving everybody. I want you to start with loving mom and dad. Real people in your life. Start with actual relationships, the closest to you if you want to have life to the full. Respect these root relationships first if you want to live the good life. If we're honest, I know we're a bunch of suburban Charlestonians, for the most part, that want to live the good life. God says, if you want to live the good life, start with this root relationship and honor actual people who exercise actual authority in your life. Not everyone here has a sibling. Not everyone here has a spouse. But all of you have had a parent. This is my family right here. Um, they visited the church uh, many times, but mom and dad in the middle, mom and dad just uh, had their 50th wedding anniversary. And we all went um, to Burnsville uh, to enjoy and honor them with time. Think about your mom. Think about your father. We owe our very existence. Don't miss this. You owe your existence to mom or dad. They authored your life. The command is honor your father and your mother. It's so personal. It's so relational. Fathers and mothers, and they're very different. I know we live in a day and age that says all the genders are the same. I don't believe they are. Why would we have to honor our fathers and our mothers if everything was the same? I think they're different. For instance, let's talk about dads. Go to any playground. Watch the dads and watch the moms. Now, are there exceptions? Of course. But for the most part, dads will say, swing a little higher, bike a little faster, throw that ball a little harder. And yet moms will turn around and say, hey, hey, hey swing a little lower on that swing set. Bike a little slower. Will you 
throw a little softer? One parent will often say, take risks in life. Push the limits in life. And another might say, well, be careful. Protect your life. Protect what is good. The paradox of parenting is that bad authority gives way too much freedom without restraint. Dads, we can sometimes go there. The paradox of parenting is that bad authority gives too much restraint without freedom. Mom, sometimes you can go there. Both parents will always agree to one thing, though, and listen to it. Freedom is not having the power to do what you want. It's having the power to do what you should. Now, I don't want to lose you. To live life with a capital L, you've got to start with some very basic relationships, the ones closest to you. These relationships are a mother and a father, very different, and yet working together to give you freedom, which is not the power to do what you want. It's having the power to do what you should. And that's a very authoritative word, should. Do you get that? Moms and dads are different. I can remember being really young and scraping the knee. What does a good mom do? She kisses the wound to make it better. Why would kissing a wound make it better? Like moms have some sort of enchanted saliva or something. It's got nothing to do with that. When a mother picks up a child and puts her in her lap, that child will say to the mom, Mom, why are you sad right now? And any mom will say, when you hurt, I hurt. You sit in that lap of love and you actually feel better even though your wound is not better. Children crave to be visible and valuable. Fathers are inclined towards sensitive empathy because fathers get failure. Look, I'm a guy. I don't like failing. But you know what a father knows in his heart of heart when he watches his child fail? You've heard this little ditty when we see the word fail. Fail actually is a good way of thinking about someone's first attempt in learning. Dads know when that kid tries for the first time, they're going to strike out. They're going to screw up. And dads know deep in their gut that failure is actually how learning happens. Fathers have a front row seat to your children's shame. Do you remember being caught doing something that you previously thought you were incapable of doing? Shame is when you shock yourself with the reality that you did something that you previously thought you were incapable of. And you don't just feel you did something bad, you feel you're dirty and bad and dishonorable. I can remember I went to a public school, everybody cursed at the public school. We had a big family reunion. I'm sitting at this table and everybody was there and I don't even know how it happened. But I got all excited and I got angry about something and I cursed. And the, everybody at the table, it just went quiet. I, had, I didn't know where it came from. I mean, everybody cursed. My dad just gave me this look like, oh, that was not a good thing to do. And yet there was a twinkle in his eye that told me he screwed up before. I'm going to be okay. Oh, we do things in our life that we thought we previously were incapable of. And dads, good fathers, they know that they've failed. 
and they won't treat you like a failure. Instead, they'll give you favor and grace. Relate with weight to your mother and your father because of the glory of their authority. I've allowed the temperature in the room to raise again. We've got to talk about authority. Authority is the... It's, it's what God gives people to actually describe reality. A parent describes playtime, for instance. Where do you play? In the yard, not in the street. They're describing. Take a look here of this image of red and blue. We have just simple colors. To describe something is to encircle it and to tell someone what something is. It's to define, to distinguish, to draw a circle around this piece of reality from another piece of reality. This color is red, you say to a child. This color is blue. You're helping your child with the facts of life. You're filling up the furniture of a child's mind with facts and helping them to face the facts. And the facts and the stories that parents give their children, those are important. We call that in philosophy ontology. When a parent gives a child facts and stories about what really exists, secondly, parents are telling their children how we know what really exists. That's called epistemology. And lastly, how should we respond to what really exists? That's your ethics. Parents are doing a big job when they are dealing with authority. Authority does more, though, than just fill your mind with facts. They describe truth for the heart. Truth is not fact. Truth is fact plus meaning. And what does meaning mean? Relationships. Red and blue make purple. Fine. But purple is not meaningful in and of itself. It's relationships that spill colors of meaning into our lives and our parents help us understand relationships. Take a look at this uh, famous image of the quadrilateral. John Wesley was a pastor and teacher. He said there's really four things that parents help us with when it comes to authority. Reason, experience, tradition, and scripture. Those are all wonderful sources that shouldn't compete with each other but complement. But you need a mom and dad to say, this is how you think. These are traditions that matter. And notice that revelation, the scripture, undergirds everything for a parent. Parents help see how these sources complement each other. But you say, Howard, wake up. Do children really love authority and listen to authority? No, I struggle with authority. Listen to this commentator who wrote, The children nowadays love luxury. They've got bad manners, contempt for authority, they show disrespect for elders and love chatter in the place of exercise. Children are now tyrants, not the servants of their households. They no longer rise when elders enter the room. They contradict their parents, chatter before the company, gobble up dainties at the table, cross their legs, and tyrannize their teachers. That was written, by the way, by Socrates 2,400 years ago. Some of you thought you were reading the Gazette, weren't you? Exodus 21, just one chapter after these commands, says this about the breakdown in authority. Exodus 21, 15, whoever strikes his father or his mother shall be put to death. Now, some of you that may not be um, too interested in Christianity, this might be why. You go, I don't want to be in a religion where if somebody smacks their mom, they get killed. But this is how serious this command is. If the most rooted relationship was someone who loves you and who's two different people, if you could strike them, 
That's not good for you, and that's not good for the community. Exodus 21.17 even says this, not just physical abuse, but look what it says, verbal abuse. Whoever curses his father or his mother shall be put to death. Curse is the Hebrew opposite word from honor. It means to treat your parents as though the words they say are light. They're not heavy. They're of no consequence. Who cares? In that culture, if you physically or verbally abused mom or dad, the people of God put you to death. Because if you can't respect the authority closest to you, how will you respect the teacher or the police officer or the pastor? How might a child learn to disrespect authority, you ask? Parents, let's be honest. Do you respect authority? Do mom and dad talk smack about their bosses, coaches, teachers, church elders, pastors, doctors, politicians? Why is my child so resistant to authority? I ask why. Colds pass in a family like a virus so quickly. What about the way that you honor authority? There's always an element of trust and vulnerability when you live in a way that where you honor authority. You take a real risk and believe that there's a benefit in the relationship and not harm. So we need some help, God. With this first point, we got it on the coat rack. Honor, it's an aggressive verb. Mom and dad, will you motivate me because this is going to be hard? He does. Oh, he's a good father. Number two, relate with weight to mom and dad because of the promise of a long, good life. If we jump to Ephesians in the New Testament, it actually says this, honor your father and mother. It's the first commandment with a, what does the word say? Promise. There is a promise stickered onto this. It's incredible. Honor your parents because I give you my word of honor that you're going to get a bonus in your life if you do this. I'm going to motivate you. Okay, God, what perk is attached to this prescription to honor mom and dad? He's going to give you two. Because this command is repeated in Deuteronomy before the people would go in to take the land. Perk number one, quantity of life. Who doesn't want that? Perk number two, quality of life. Exodus 20, verse 12, perk number one, honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land. What a great thing. Did you know that after the Jews moved into the land, they were kicked out years later? You ever wonder why? The scripture does not hide this. Let me tell you why they were kicked out of the land and put into captivity again. It says in Ezekiel 22, father and mother are treated with contempt. I will scatter you among the nations and disperse you. Oh, this is important. We're going to have to be motivated to honor authority, to honor mom and dad, because this is really important. And God wants to pull on your heart with another perk, not just long life where you have stability in the land. It's a double promise. It's not just a long life. It's a good life. Deuteronomy 5.16, where the law is repeated, adds this. Honor your father and mother. Your days are going to be long, quantity, and that it may go well with you. It's the idea of prosperity. 
It's a figure of speech that says your days are going to be so filled to bursting with the presence and warmth and favor and power of God. It's going to be incredible. A few years ago, remember Leonard Neboy, the guy with the pointy ears who would walk around with that funny sign saying, live long and prosper. Remember that? He reveals right before he dies why he created that Vulcan little thing. It goes back to a father-son story of when he was young. He was a Jew. He was in the synagogue one day. And as he tells the story, he said that it was getting towards the end where the priest would raise his hands. And I don't know if many of you have a Jewish background, but Leonard Nimoy said that the dad, his dad looked at him and said, don't you peek. Don't you peek when the priest gives the blessing. If you're an Orthodox Jew, when the blessing is given, you cover your head, and all that happens, the congregation looks down. There's such glory and honor. But Leonard Nimoy, he peaked that day. And when he looked up, as a curious little boy would do, he saw the hands with this, with this um, position. He didn't know why. What you're looking at there is the Hebrew letter sheen. It's shaped like a W. The priest would put his hands like this when he would bless the people. Now, you've got to go back to the Old Testament because none of us are, are from that background. A big sacrifice of the temple would happen, a lot of fire. The priest would then raise the hands. And why a W? Because the W was the letter S, the first letter in the word Shekinah, honor, glory, weight. S is the first letter in Shalom, in Shaddai. Shalom is peace, Shaddai. And you can read about this. Leonard Nimoy said he just wanted to peek, and it dawned on him that the priest, is with this sacrifice of another, is putting the hand saying, the Shekinah of God blesses you. How prosperous. So he went to the Star Trek and said, let's, let, let's, I want this to be part of that whole Vulcan culture. But I'm stealing it from the people, the Jews, and their concept of glory. Interesting father and son story. Don't you want a life filled to the full? Not just quantity. Who wants to live forever if it's not quantity? Quality and quantity. Now that example with Leonard Nimoy is a little up there. Youth, listen in on this. I know we're way up there with this idea of Shekinah and glory. Let's bring one down here. Tim Elmore is a Christian leader who studies and writes about parents and kids, and he's done a lot of work with cell phones. Listen to this. He says... You talk about parents wanting their kids to have good lives, they often will disagree about those phones. They debate over the phones. They divide. Parents often say things like this, and students, have you ever heard it? You're always on your phone when we're together. You don't even look at me and talk to me when you're on your phone. You don't seem to know how to carry on a conversation in person. You're addicted to that phone and fail to do your chores. You never look up from your phone. I own the phone and am paying for the phone. If you flip the conversation, the parents are often saying, the young people are often saying things like this. You're always nagging me about connecting with my friends. You don't get me. You don't understand my life. At least I'm not using drugs or smoking or drinking. This is my way of relating to my friends. Why don't you leave me alone and let me do my own life? Tim Elmore suggests, why don't we kind of calm down and think about having a prosperous life? Why don't parents, who typically do, by the way, pay for these phones, 
have a simple agreement with their children. You know, adults have mortgages, credit cards, car payments, and if you as a parent can lace that agreement with love so that they understand and taste reality, if they set some rules up with you, mom and dad, and break them, agree beforehand how things are supposed to be used. Agree on the consequences. Maybe you lose your phone for 48 hours, but keep the consequences intact. This grows health. It prepares youth for life. Let's hang our coat on one more little peg. Number three, relate with weight to mom and dad out of respect for Christ. I wonder if you thought that this relates at all to Jesus. Oh, it does. God became man to give dying sinners not only life, but eternal life. If you look up the word zoe, which is why Christ came, to give you life with a capital L. It is both quantity forever, but it's quality. But do you remember how God became man? His first nine months on this planet were spent in the womb of his mother. I'm not trying to be corny, but we're supposed to make our parents heavier. He made mom heavy for nine months. Give weight to your mother. Give weight to your father. For his first nine months, he's connected to, he's nourished, he's growing inside of his mother. He was born a little boy, and his mom and dad kept their eye on him every minute, just like parents do. But do you remember when he was 12? How many of you have tried to keep your eye on your kids every minute, and you lose them for a minute? You ever have the panic? Grandparents, are you with me? Where is that child? Do you know that Mary and Joseph went on a three-day journey from Nazareth, 70 miles away, to Jerusalem because you'd go there with your kids on the Passover. It was typical that all the families would travel, the kids would meander around, and they lost Jesus not for a minute, for three days. And you know what that's, that is? That's 4,320 minutes. And they start to freak out. Luke chapter 2 tells this story. And the parents are panicking, and they find him in the temple. What's Jesus doing? Listening to the authorities, asking questions. How are we going to learn to honor? Have respect. Respect means to look at. Look at Jesus. He's 12. He's separated from mom and dad, but he's with other authorities asking questions and listening. Luke chapter 2 says this, when the parents saw him, they were astonished. His mom said, son, why have you treated us like this? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And listen to Jesus. Why were you looking for me? Didn't you know I must be in my father's house? Authority. But look what it says he did. He went down with them and was submissive to them. Submissive. The truest state of your heart is the honor you give to your nearest and dearest. Jesus' parents taught him that day how hard love will search for the lost. You ever wonder why Jesus went after the lost? You know, as he walked back with mom and dad submitting and saying, they just spent three days looking for me. Our church says we're going to go to the lost. It's out of respect for Christ. He was learning 
from his parents how hard love will search for the lost that day. And he submitted to what he was learning. Now, Jesus would grow up and he'd go to a wedding with mom. Remember that? John chapter 2 says there was a wedding in Cana in Galilee and the mother of Jesus was there. When John tells this story, he keeps using the word mother. Wine runs out and the mother of Jesus says to Jesus, they've got no wine. And Jesus says, woman, what does that have to do with me? My hour's not yet come. But his mother said to the servants, do whatever Jesus tells you. Jesus is sitting just trying to have a good time. And mom is manipulating on the side. Just do whatever he says because she knows something's going on with this boy. What does Jesus do? He submits to his mom. And he turns that wedding into a party. John chapter 8 talks about when Jesus would die. It says this in verse 28. When you've lifted up the Son of Man... Then you'll know that I am he, and I do nothing of my own authority. This is Jesus Christ. He does nothing of his own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. How do you grow to honor mom and dad out of respect for Christ? Jesus would die at the age of 33. Quite a short life, actually. So that all of us who put our trust in him will have long life. He kept that fifth commandment, and yet died because we have not kept any. The undiluted good life to the full and forever is because of Christ and how he submitted to his Father's authority. But right before he died, he would keep the fifth commandment just one last time. Remember in John chapter 19, he's being executed outside the city. He's being scattered. He's not in the land of Jerusalem. And it says on the cross, when, his, when he saw his mother... And the disciple whom he loved, which was John, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. Jesus can't even die without leaning forward on that cross and saying, Mom, John, this root relationship, there needs to be some honor. I'm going to die. And John, I want you to take care of Mom. He's teaching us all, would we respect it, that we need to stop seeking glory and honor from people and seek honor for people. On the cross, he is seeking honor for his mother. What can you do, you ask? Let me give you some quick things you can do. Because some of you are going, all right, <laughs> I need to call mom today. I need to call dad today. Or maybe your mother and father have died and you just need to thank God for what they have taught you. Or maybe you need to extrapolate out and say, I've got a teacher, a coach. I've got a pastor at this church. I've got an elder. I've got a deacon. I've got a coach. I've got some in my life who is an authority, and I have not made them weighty. I have not aggressively let them know that they matter, that they're significant. Here's five things you can do. Number one, if you're a young child, obey right away. And grandparents and parents teach this to the young. Obey right away, all the way from the heart, without delay. We had a saying when we were, our kids were young that delayed obedience is disobedience. When children are young, they need to obey. It says actually in Ephesians, children, young children, obey. Older children, honor. Old children shouldn't be obeying everything mom and dad says. You're your own person. But if you're young, obey. You say, well, what if my parents are not Christians, or what if my parents are imperfect? It'll sound hard at first, but unless, you, unless they ask you to dishonor God, you're to obey. 
and honor without delay. Respect the position that they've been put into, not their performance. You get pulled over on the way home by a cop, that cop might be involved in a lot of bad stuff, but you pull over because you respect the position that God has put them in. Honor is not based on merit, but on the role that God gave your parents. Here's the third thing you can, or second thing you can do. Ask for your parents' advice and have an attitude where you really care. Here's the third thing you can do, probably for older children, forgive. I know that what your mom and dad did was inexcusable, and I'm not telling you to excuse it. I'm telling you to forgive that terrible trauma that has tunneled so deep into you that a bitter root has grown. Pull the bitter root out. How? Name the debt. Name what they did to you. Name it and release it. Aren't you tired of pursuing what they did not give you? Attention, approval, value. They noticed that you were there. Aren't you so tired? You are bound to reproduce what you cannot forgive. And that's not living. You've never left that emotional broken home. Leave it today. They're not to be controlling your life right now. You do not need their approval or verdict. Christ has died. The Father has honored you to bring you into relationship. Number four, love mom and dad on their terms. My dad likes it when you just talk to him for hours. How does your father or your mother feel a sense of honor? You need to do it their way. Love them on their terms. My mom likes to make a big meal and feed people. So, like, the worst thing to do is say, I'm just not hungry. That's not good for my mom. She wants to make a meal and eat it with you. Lastly, care for mom and dad when they are unable to care for themselves. I'm kind of at that age. At the 50th reunion, we sent all the young kids out and said, Mom and dad, you're getting older. Some of you care for difficult parents when they lose their, their memory. How difficult. They may not even know who you are. How do you honor them when they get older? I end with a story. It's a heavy story. It's not to guilt anybody. It's a fairy tale. It's a Grimm's fairy tale. It's what parents typically do to teach their children. I end with a story and I ask that it would search us. This is the famous old man and his grandson. There once was a very old man whose eyes had become dim, his ears dull of hearing. His knees trembled and when he sat at table, he could hardly hold the spoon. And he spilt the broth upon the tablecloth and let it run out of his mouth. His son and his son's wife were disgusted at this. So the old grandfather at last had to sit in the corner behind the stove. And they gave him his food in an earthenware bowl and not even enough of it. And he used to look towards the table with his eyes full of tears. Once, too, his trembling hands couldn't hold the bowl and it fell to the ground and broke. The young wife scolded him, but he said nothing and only sighed. Then they brought him a wooden bowl for a few half pence out of which he had to eat. They were once sitting thus when the little grandson of four years old began to gather together some bits of wood upon the ground. What are you doing there? asked the father. I'm making a little pig trough, answered the child. It's for father and mother to eat from when I am big. 
The man and his wife looked at each other for a while and presently began to cry. Then they took the old grandfather to the table. And henceforth, always let him eat with them. And likewise said nothing if he did spill a little of anything. Relate with weight to your father and to your mother. Because of the glory of their authority, there are promises of long life. And do it out of respect for Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, that's how we address you. Our Father. Father, would you forgive us for taking so lightly which is the equivalent of cursing our parents. Lord, would you give parents right now wisdom in raising kids? Lord, would you give those that have older parents, and they're so hard, they, they're so hard every day, it just seems that they are, are dealing with care. Would you renew our strength? Father, mostly would you help us to look at Christ how he submitted, how he took care of mom. And Lord, because we're in a relationship with Christ and you, Father, we have the power to love this intensely. Take our hands off of that steering wheel. You've saved us, but we're not supposed to drive this life. We're supposed to appreciate your authorities. In Christ's name we pray, amen.